your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, AJ Hayfley. AJ, what's going on, man? Uh, you know, just living the living the dream. That's right. Watching playoff hockey, getting to That's talk right. about it. I uh, I got up this morning, made myself a coffee, put on the uh, the abs cracking game to rewatch it, so it'd be fresh in my mind, and so I could take some notes because I knew we were going to do the show today. And I've certainly got some takes. I, I you know, this is my first time um, experiencing postseason hockey while having a daily show. Uh, in the past, I used to just you know pretty much I do a preview. And then unless something extremely notable happened mid-series, I would just wait till the series was over and then I'd kind of recap it and preview what was next. And that gave me the benefit of seeing how the story plays out and then being able to react accordingly, right? I really dislike the idea of jumping right after game one and and firing up the hot take machine and panicking and being overly dramatic just because it's the, the only thing we've seen so far because we know that as these series go along, there's twists and turns, there's adjustments, there's matchup changes, there's evolutions, all that good stuff. And we have that to look forward to. But one of the perks of having a daily show is that we can react to stuff while it's kind of fresh on the mind, while we just watched this game most recently last night. And so we're going to talk abs cracking here today. You and I are going to deep dive it, do a breakdown of what we saw, what we think matters, what we think doesn't, how we think it's going to progress as the series goes along. What was your first thought from watching this game in terms of how it played out, whether it was confirming a pre-existing belief or whether it was kind of surprising you because you didn't anticipate it going that way. Uh, I think there was a, <clears throat> I think there's a little bit of both to be honest with you. Uh, I think the confirming the pre-existing belief is that the way that Seattle won game one is the way that Seattle wins all their games. Uh, they, they four check hard. They put teams into uncomfortable situations and they play very opportunistic hockey, and their whole lineup does it. That's not a lineup where you look at you you look at the top line and you say we've got to shut these guys down. You know, that's so, so no offense to Matty Beniers or Jared McCann, of course. Uh, Jared that's, McCann, that's forty goal scorer, Jared McCann. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's having a forty. He had a forty goal season this year. You obviously need to know where he is when he's on the ice, but it's it, it, you know, Jared. I, I just feel like it's safe to say Jared McCann is not one of those guys that causes you to lose sleep when you're prepping for a series. What what causes you to lose sleep is that you look at that Kraken lineup and you say on any given night, you know, uh, the, the Kraken scored three goals last, uh, last night in game one mm-hmm. game two, they could have three completely different goal scores and still win three, one. And that's, that's what, if you're Colorado and you're looking at them, uh, you're looking at this matchup. That's the that's what worries you. That's what makes you uncomfortable. Is that all four of their lines play such cohesive hockey, and they play such connected hockey with a really strong uh, d- defensive soul, I guess if you would call it that. That uh, game one kind of played out in in such a way that it was like this is how the Kraken live. Like this is just this is their life and. I say that, and I I don't I don't feel like the Kraken played particularly well in Game One. Um, uh, you mentioned things that surprised me. I mean, you you and I are are two of the most public Devon Taves uh, fans uh, on mm-hmm. the planet, and watching watching Devon Taves come under pressure and make such a horrific decision to just give the puck away to a Kraken player in front of his own net completely by himself, you know, three or four minutes into the, into the, into the game. It was, it was, it was shocking. I mean, that's, that's the thing Devon Taves, do you like, yes. you don't expect Devon Taves to do. Well, here's the thing, that's, AJ, I, I'm, I'm contractually obligated to, to cut you off here and defend Devon Taves' honor because of course it was a, a horrific pass which is like you're you're taught, I think, from the first day you start playing competitive hockey, don't throw the puck up the middle of the ice like that, especially from that angle. His defense partner that was out there was Sam Gerard and not Kale McCarr, and Gerard was bunched very close to him. Not that it excuses the pass, but I, I will say it's not like he had a very it's not like he 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 chose to forego like a safe D to D pass to to alleviate pressure. He really all he could have done was I guess held onto the puck and just taken a hit and just like tried to keep it along the boards there until reinforcements came and that's probably would have been a, a a preferred alternative that would have prevented a goal against certainly. 
but it was, he was handed the puck. It was kind of like a, a live hand grenade where I was like, all right, here, take it here. And then all of a sudden two guys are bearing down on you. Good luck. And so it was an unfortunate situation the way that happened, but, but you're right. We're just not used to seeing that was a very uncharacteristic play from, from the Devontae's handbook. It, it is, uh, you know, on, on, uh, on my show last night after the game, I also said, Hey, look, go and watch that play. There's no help for Devontae's. Evan Evan Rodriguez is two feet inside the blue line. Nathan McKinnon is nowhere to be found. Uh, Miko Rantanen is nowhere to be found. They have flown the zone already, and that forecheck just just bore down on them and forced the exact kind of mistake that a that that kind of intense forecheck is designed to create. So, I mean, I uh, there's no there's no getting around the fact that. Devon Taves can't make that pass. Yes. He can't, he can't make that mistake. But at the same time, the, the when looking at the, the, the puck that Gerard gives to him, then you look at the forward support sitting on the, uh, where, where this is sitting inside the zone where it's just not in a helpful spot. You look at it and you say, this is exactly the kind of disconnected hockey that cost the Avs in game one. They, they were not playing as a cohesive unit. Whereas, you look at how Seattle forechecked him. You looked at the way that they, you know, one guy, one guy forechecks him on the wall, another guy picks it up, Tolvin and comes off, and he's right there in the middle of the ice for that pass. And it's it's connected hockey. It's it's exactly what Seattle does at a really high level, just as a team, uh, to make to make other teams uncomfortable and and life hard for them. And the Avs just played right into it. Yeah, I think it was jarring to see the Avs D struggle to the degree that they did. We just we were so used to them um, having the personnel and the system that allows them, even when you watch that Stanley Cup final against Tampa Bay, that was a clear difference between the two teams. Colorado had the the horses in the back end to, even against Tampa Bay's heavy forecheck, to, to make the first guy miss and then carry it out or, or make a play higher in the zone rather than getting stuck behind the goal line like that. And Seattle's forecheck is certainly very heavy. Um Five on five shots off the forecheck that were generated from turnovers were 14 to six for Seattle um last night by my count. And and it's surprising to see Colorado being beaten in that category to that degree. I would have I didn't count them. I'd say there was probably 15 to 20 defensive zone turnovers that that you know not as egregious as the Tazon we described, but ones that kept Colorado stuck in the zone, prevented them from playing the way they want to play on the move. And they just weren't able to to generate those clean exits. So I guess my question for you is moving forward, acknowledging, and this shouldn't have been a surprise, right? Heading into the series, watching crack and tape, knowing how they've played all year, this should have been something you, you sort of foresaw and expected. I think because of the way the abs are constructed right now with questions about um, the depth uh, up front, how they're going to generate goals, needing to get out on the move and create some easy opportunities. I do think there's there's a bit of an urge, like your description of what they, the forwards did on that play, is to to cheat a little bit in in trying to fly the zone and and get ahead of the Kraken because once their D gets set, they're so good at defending the rush. I guess it's going to come down to attention to detail and discipline of like doing the exit first and then worrying about what comes after, right? Is, is that that seems like that'll probably be the, the biggest adjustment because in theory, the Avs do still have the defensive personnel to to deal with whatever the crack and throw at them out of the forecheck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it will come down to that, that kind of discipline of you're not going to be able to shift by shift, skate downhill, skate with the puck through the neutral zone, uh, create rush chances and, and play with that kind of, up-tempo, uh, you know, avalanche hockey that we saw last year. It's not last year's team. They're not as good as last year's team. They can't they, – their margin for error is a lot smaller. The other the other thing to consider, they had two guys on their defense uh, in game one that were just coming back off of long layoffs. Um, they, they are healthy-ish right now. Um, I mean, it's kind of unbelievable that they lose Jack Johnson in warmups to injury uh, and they have to slot Eric Johnson in. And if you haven't been paying attention um, to the last couple of weeks of avalanche hockey, and I can understand if you haven't, uh, but Jack Johnson has significantly outplayed Eric Johnson over the last, over the last few weeks. And so that's a down, that was a, a unexpected downgrade in the lineup for them in game one is that they have to put Eric Johnson in there and 
when you were, we're talking injuries again with the Avalanche this year, it's part of it is the fact that they've been this group together. This the group that played in Game One has played so little together that you talk about them being connected and them them doing all the things that they need to do. They just haven't spent very much time playing together, uh, which is kind of a shocking thing after 82 games. Uh, but it's it's certainly not a good I mean there, there's no there's no good excuse there. The Avalanche and and, and you, you you said it already that walking into this, you know what the Kraken do. Uh and so to see how Colorado handled it in game 1, did there's no other way to say it from from Colorado's perspective other than to say it was just it was tremendously disappointing. Um, just to just see that they they fed into it the way that they did and the guys who had poor games you're you know Josh Manson having a bad game two penalties and just a a total brain turned off moment behind his own net on the third cracking goal to start the third period fine he's played 27 games this year he it's his first game in like like three or four months like I can understand Josh Manson's rusty it's whatever it's fine you're also just going to get some of that with Josh Manson sometimes. But watching Devon Taves and Val Nachushkin, two of your smartest players, two of your most consistent players, have the kinds of games that they did was when you knew that Colorado was in trouble. When he makes that mistake, when when Val Nachushkin goes crashing the net and finds a JT Comfort rebound all alone in front of the net and makes literally no play on it. He it looked like he just took the puck and and passed it right to Philip Grubauer, <laughs> and then immediately proceeded to fall down with no contact from a Kraken player. There was no resistance. He was by himself. He was in good position. He makes no play and then falls down. It was like a comedy of errors all night from him. And that is again another guy. Val Nachushkin has been one of their steadiest and most reliable guys over the last honestly the last like three years. And his game has been so on the rise that when he has a poor game as he did in game one, you're almost uncomfortable watching it because you're just like, what is this? Well, where are we with, like, are we under working under the assumption that Natrushkin is fully healthy? Because no. he's he's been more productive. But I will say, watching his skating, like he's still, it speaks to what a nightmare he is that he can still be so disruptive with that reach and that motor. But there was certain times last night where you would watch and in the past, I would have expected him to create separation or break away and, and make something happen. And he gets the puck and defenders are just glued to him, right? Like he he's not he's not really able to hit that other gear that made him so special last year. And that's kind of, it's, it's frustrating to watch. Um, and it's remarkable to think because when he was so good last year, he was playing on that like badly mangled foot and he was still able to, to get the job done. So I think that's also why it's a bit jarring to see how he looks physically in some of these sort of like one-on-one foot races with other, other players. He's definitely not fully healthy. Um, I have been kind of harping on this for a while now that he's not, that you can see that he's not fully healthy because that lack, that lack of burst that you're talking about, that little separation I mean, you're talking about you're, you're you're talking about just the smallest margins here, right? And him not having that has been a difference maker for him in terms of the kind of impact that he makes offensively, for sure. Because his ability to go wide on guys was a really important element of his game because it had to be respected. It doesn't have to be respected right now. He's not going to go wide on somebody. Unless they just totally fall asleep and have a bad gap, uh, right now it's it's he's still effective. He's still really good. He's still really reliable. Uh, the the motor and and the size and just the general disruptiveness is all still there, but the offensive impact is a little more muted when he's not next to Nathan McKinnon because he's not able to create some of the own some of the chaos on his own Mm -hmm. as we have seen in the past he's definitely not fully healthy uh and there's doubt as to whether he will be ever again Mm -hmm. just because the nature of his injury uh the nature of the surgery that he had on his ankle and the scar tissue that it creates 
and the friction that it causes when he skates and uh, there's nothing that he can really do to rest and heal and get it back to the way that it was before you know maybe you know maybe if the Avs lose in round one and he has the entire summer off you know and he stays off of it and he you know, avoids it maybe maybe that fixes it but other other than something like that um there this just might be um like the new Nachushkin reality here is that that little extra burst just isn't quite there, but he's still a really effective player otherwise. Yeah, yeah, a bit more one-dimensional, as you said. I thought that was a great point of, of uh, not having to really account for or respect the threat of like him just taking it to the net against you from distance, uh, which yeah. is a guy that big should not be able to move that fast, or, and and maybe maybe we're learning that, that that's true. Um, you know, <laughs> while we're on the topic of the Avs defense quickly, you mentioned Manson, I did. I, I had a note here in my game notes of, just how bad he looked. You're right. He's played, he hasn't played since March 1st. He's played six games since December 1st. So give him a bit of leeway there. But, um, yeah. you know, you could see the timing was off on not on the, in the third period where they had that, that rush and he was helping lead it or kickstart it. And then he just skates in offside and, and, and negates it. Uh, the defensive miscues, the penalties, like Ryan Donato just, putting his shoulder down and taking the puck to the net against him and, and forcing him to, to take a penalty. Um, obviously not ideal. I did like Bowen Byram's game. And I know that the uh, the on-ice numbers don't really reflect it. And a part of that is, is because of what they gave back defensively the other way. But in a game where the execution was off for the team, the offense looked quite limited. I thought, especially when they had him out there for some of those offensive zone shifts with Kale McCarr, like his ability to seamlessly play that when the abs are at their best, they play that kind of positional interchangeability game in the offensive zone, right? Where all five guys are moving around. You never know where you're going to see a defenseman. And there were two or three times where Byron was able to pop up in a scoring position, the crack and clearly we're not able to account for where he would be on the ice. And then he hits the post on or the crossbar on one of them. He had a few other kind of give and goes and nice little plays in the car. I really like, I, I think we're talking to talk about this more later in terms of like what personnel adjustments the Avs can make in terms of um, creating more offense out of this group. I think getting Byram in those situations off those offensive zone draws and off those kind of momentum plays where they're in attacking positions with him and Makar and playing that five-man game is, I think, something that, that Jared Bednar should experiment with and, and explore more because it gives them a slightly different offensive dynamic, and I think that showed last night. Yeah, and if there was one area where you did feel like Colorado showed a strength. It's it's what their defensemen were able to create offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, that the way that they moved the puck around the zone as a group, it didn't happen nearly often enough. But you could see that when they started when they started building up that momentum, they started making some of those plays. Uh, you know, between between Gerard and Byram and Makar, um, I, I think they did have. <clears throat> They did have some solid sequences um, throughout the game. Byram, Byram just seems cursed at this point. Uh, he hit something like five posts in the postseason last year. Hit one again last night. Uh, if I recall, still doesn't have a postseason goal. Uh, just sitting on a bunch of assists, which he he got another one last night. Uh, but it he's he's like literal inches away from taking that next step offensively and the you know Byron McCarr thing I think is definitely something that needs to be revisited but watching watching those defensemen activate in the way that they help generate offense from the blue line and the way that they kind of play the the way that the avalanche like to play low to high um through their defense, it is something that Seattle looked uncomfortable with last night. And I will be curious to see how they try and tighten the screws on that. Well, and let's give let's give Seattle credit. I, I think we have a little bit, right? We talked about their forecheck, some of the pressure they were able to create. But a lot of this conversation, a lot of the issues with the Avalanche game, I think, is comes from like a an um being disconnected, as you said earlier, or a lack of execution. And part of that is because it's part of it is self-inflicted, I'm sure. And and then, you know, not having a lot of reps playing together and guys coming back after extended absences. But part of it is also when you play the way that Seattle does, that can kind of force your hand in that way. Right. And if you're not, if you're not feeling it, it can make it a long, miserable night for you. 
And I guess part of heading into this series, I was like, all right, I'm not sure what to make of, I mean, the Avs regular season in general, just because it was such a rotating cast of players in the lineup and you never knew who was going to be playing. They were always missing someone important. But in the three games we did see against Seattle, they all sort of followed a similar script or a similar theme, right? Like Seattle did show that they were able to skate with them, play at their pace, at least challenge them a bit and make life difficult for them. And now we're up to four games in this head-to-head series this season where the Kraken have given up six goals against combined in them. And, you know, for the Avs, in terms of thinking about how they're going to create offense, you mentioned some of that low to high and some of the offense's own sequences, their bread and butter is and will always be attacking downhill off the rush, being able to regroup quickly and, and sort of catch you on your back foot. And in this game, I had the rush shots at five on five at 18 to 16 for the abs. But I would honestly say four or five of those at tops were were clean, right? A lot of them were sort of yeah. ones where the Kraken were in fine position. They were able, either able to block it or get a stick on it or disrupt a shot. You had the McKinnon ranting in two on one. You had, you know, JT Comfort, uh, the, the sequence you described earlier, breaking in. But there were very few of those instances, and I guess finding a way to get that transition game going, you're going to have to beat that forecheck cleanly first, but finding ways to to kind of flip the ice from those neutral zone resets into quick opportunities going back the other way is going to be, I think, imperative because off the set sequences, while the Avs had success, I think the Kraken are perfectly fine playing that game with them. Like I think they will live with Nathan McKinnon kind of skating around the outside of the offensive zone and eventually just throwing the puck on net because he doesn't know what to do else. Like that's, they can play all game that way. What they don't want to do is get into these situations where it's three on two after three on two. And so the abs finding a way to do that is I think what's going to determine whether they finally are able to break through offensively or whether the next, whatever, four five, six games of the series are similar to one, three, one types of games. Yeah. I, I don't think that the overall tone of the series is going to change a whole lot from this. I think that's just the, I think that's just the battle of styles in this uh, is that Seattle does a great job of muddying the waters and uh, you know, they and Colorado wants to boat race teams. So, you know, when, and when you, when, you know, Seattle creates all that chop to, to, to run with the metaphor, Seattle creates a lot of chop. It makes, makes, uh, you know, makes, makes trying to be the, the, the speedboat team very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, we saw a little bit of that last night. I really do think, though, that the the big thing here is that, yeah, Colorado's depth is a question. And how do they handle it? And, you know, how good are they going to be? You know, can GT Comfort do the 2C thing? Blah, 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 all this stuff. Yes, all those things are fair questions. But uh, at the end of the day, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, and Kale McCarr all can play better and have to play better mm-hmm. because those are the guys that, those are the guys that give them the advantage in this series. Those are the guys that give them an advantage in any series. When you walk into a series and you have the three best players right off the bat, you know, you're off to a pretty good start there. But if those guys don't play like the three best players in the series, it's going to be pretty hard to win. That's your formula. It is. Well, and unfortunately, maybe this was why the result was the way it was. I thought the best player on the series last night was Yanni Gord for either team. And and if that's going to be the case, then it's going to be a tough series for Colorado. Not that McKinnon and Rantanen didn't get their chances because they certainly did. But I thought that the job Gord did, he played the primary matchup against them. I believe he was on the ice for like half of McKinnon's minutes, held them to a draw uh, in terms of shots, out outchanced them. They were on the ice for the goal against them, McKinnon created. But, um, you know, Gord himself created four or five on five chances, was responsible for seven other five on five shot contributions. He was fantastic. And that's kind of the matchup you, you you thought you'd see heading into it. And it's not really Jared Bednar's style to worry too much, I think, about, um, you know, who's playing against who, right? Like he typically yeah. is just like, he's, he's very, um, of the mind of like, oh, I'm just going to put my best players out there and they're going to be able to win against anyone. And that's certainly been the case for a long time and taken them very far. But I think in this particular case, if it's going to, it's a bit of an uphill battle or a tougher slog than I think it needs to be. If at home with last change, you're getting all of these Makar Rantanen minutes against Gord and Adam Larson when it doesn't need to be. Now the, you know, part of the issue with matching up against the Kraken is that, as you mentioned, 
they have the depth and it's not like there's necessarily going to be a massive drop off regardless of who's on the ice for them. But it's pretty yeah. clear that that's, those are the players they prefer to have on there and they were able to get them out there for a significant portion of the game and they did very well in those minutes. And so that's, that's, I think something to watch where I think Colorado could potentially create a few additional easier opportunities for them. If they can just try to try to get away from that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, watch Jared Benner has always just been like, ah, my guys are better. Go get them. And it's true in this series. And I, I just think that they, they just need to up their level of play. Um, I mean, the, the level, the, the level dropped so much from, Game eighty two to game one of the postseason, it was it was really disappointing to watch um, because the, Aval- the I mean the Avalanche completely dominated periods one and three against Nashville in the last game of the season. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's it's Nashville. Yeah, I don't I wouldn't um, say that as like a that's like something to brag about necessarily at this point. But yes, yeah, totally. Um, but it was it was just to see that the intensity was there in game eighty two. Uh, and then, you know, of course, they had that awful second period where they gave everything back that they built. But uh, but from just from an intensity, from an emotional perspective, uh, watching the Avs in game one, they can truly begin their title defense. They're as healthy as they've been all year. I say that as they literally lose a guy in warm-ups to injury. Uh, you know, they're, they're, there was all this excitement. There was all this buzz. You know, you have Seattle. You've, you've won the division. You watched the absolute war that was game one in Dallas and Minnesota, and you're going, well, thank God they're not involved in that thing. Mm. And they just come out and just to to, to lay the egg that they did in game one, um, you know, just it just doesn't, you know, the morning after, it really just doesn't feel very good. It doesn't, but, you know, I, I think that they and they will play better, right? The execution will be there moving forward but listening to the espn broadcast like the entire time they were they kept trying to i guess play up this idea that the kraken were um you know they score that first early goal and they're like oh well this is huge they can they can ease the nerves a little bit and and sort of get their feet wet uh playing their first playoff game as a franchise meanwhile a lot of these guys not only have playoff experience coming from the other teams they were picked from but also play a very playoff style type of game and and I think we saw that as well. So I I, I just did want to kind of hammer that point home as well because on the one hand it's going to be up to Colorado to play better and 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 they need to handle their business in that way. But also just the style of game Seattle played, understandably made that issue kind of even worse or, or shined a brighter light on it. And and mm-hmm. I would expect that to continue as well, right? I'm not I wouldn't I wouldn't expect Seattle all of a sudden to go away from this. Like it's something to work for them all regular season. And also now that they have this game in the bank, it's like, all right, yeah, we just need to keep doing the, all of these exact same things. And the result not might not be the same, but we're going to have a chance in every single one of these games. Absolutely. I mean, that's, there's going to be no blowouts here. I don't think um, the only way one is going to get away is if uh, Philip Grubauer has a, one of those days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, Seattle Seattle makes life difficult for opponents and Colorado can get into games where they don't fight that battle as hard as they should. Uh, it's just a different team from last year. They have a different drive. They have, they have a lot of different elements where I think that they have sacrificed a little bit on the margins to try to, to keep up with the skill level that they're after with the Evan Rodriguez's and Dennis Mulgans of the world, where they maybe lose a little bit of the physicality. They lose a little bit of that quote unquote playoff style hockey to try to, to, to try to get a higher skill player that might be able to, to sneak a goal for them here or there, you know, cause they not having an Andre Burakovsky like they did last year who could get out there and could just, Oh, hey! Turn, look, he just turned a shot into a goal. Yeah, yeah. He just, he just, he just beat a goaltender. Yeah. Hmm. The Evs don't have a lot of that this year. Uh, they have to work a lot harder. Uh, beyond their top line, they have to work a lot harder for that offense, and they're really reliant on their defense to chip in and activate and help create. You're talking about those rushes, the three on twos that that Colorado wants to create going up the ice. Those aren't three forwards most of the time. It's a lot of the time one of the defensemen jumping into the play and 
when you have when you have kind of a game changing talent in Kale McCarr. You know, I thought Kale McCarr was pretty good last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, his first game back, he was physical. He created a lot on offense. I also think he gave a lot back defensively, and that timing didn't look like it was quite there yet. But as he as he gets better and more comfortable in the series, I expect uh, Colorado's offense to start to round into shape a little bit more. If he never really gets it going, the Avs won't win the series. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty simple calculus there. Um, AJ, let's take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll keep chatting about the Avs and the Avs Kraken and what to expect from the series. You're listening to the Hockey PDO Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here with AJ Hayley talking about the Avs and, uh, and their game against the Kraken last night. Let's talk a bit, a little bit about Nathan McKinnon. I, I think the the conversation about the, the team's depth and, and scoring and all that is less interesting. You certainly saw it last night where when they, the Avs had McKinnon ranting in on the ice at 5-on-5, they had 15 shots in 17 minutes and seven high-danger chances. In the 32 minutes where everyone else played at 5-on-5, they had 12 shots and four chances. And, and that's going to be a, an issue that they have to deal with moving forward. The reason why it wasn't as big of a deal towards the end of the regular season when they banked a bunch of wins and got into this position they were in for this matchup was because McKinnon and Rantanen and just absolutely went nuclear and were scoring every single night and the pucks were going in for McKinnon in particular. And he, he had like very nice positive regression at just the right time. Um, you know, I, I thought last night you saw both the good and the bad with McKinnon at times. You certainly see the the goal he sets up for Rantanen, right? It's a beautiful show of of both skill but also understanding of what he's facing where he spins off of pressure buys himself some extra space and then instead of forcing a low percentage shot finds ranton and banks it in off of him and it's the only goal they were able to score there were also times where i thought you saw some of the lingering issues with his game where what makes him special is how um how jittery he can be and also how like uh, he can he can force the issue. At times, he skated himself into trouble, and that's a, a recipe for disaster against the way this Kraken team defends. So I'm not sure you can change that at this point. It's kind of what you get with McKinnon's game, but I remember you and I had a long conversation about this in our Stanley Cup final preview last year against the Lightning and talking about how McKinnon's game had evolved, how he'd learned to, to be more patient and defer. And I feel like in this series, that's going to test that again because... Just the, the way the Kraken are defending him right now, it's going to be tough for him to do a lot of those superhuman solo individual efforts. It's going to be a lot more sort of making a simple little play in the neutral zone that allows the rest of his teammates to go in for a man advantage because he's commanding so much attention. Yeah, and I would say that uh, this is where I would start with just a quick like personnel swap here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would put Arturi Lekanen back up next to him. Because Lekkanen is a guy that McKinnon trusts and has had a great deal of success with. But Lekkanen is also the little details guy. You know, he does all the little things. He wins the board battles. He chips pucks really well. He reads the ice really well. Um, he's He can keep up skating-wise uh, with the pace that McKinnon wants to play at. Um, just that swap with Evan Rodriguez, I think, would, would really do a lot of good. Mm. Um also, I, I often refer to Arturi Lekkanen as Nathan McKinnon's emotional support adult. Uh, just kind of his, you know, <laughs> just that that guy that kind of lifts him up a little bit. Uh, and I always joke, you know, Nate doesn't like anybody, but he loves Arturi Lekkanen. It's, it's, it, 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 it is, it's just true, though. Yeah. Um, they, they, they play great hockey together. I would make that switch. As far as McKinnon and and the patience and, you know, this year he was maybe as good a playmaker as we've ever seen him be. Um, Understanding that when he walks into the zone, uh, walks, when he rockets into the zone with the puck. When he tries to destroy the ice with his skates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that kind of frenetic energy that he plays with, uh, where it just looks like he can't wait to make the next three things happen all at the same time. Uh, He's played with a different level of patience this year where 
he has understood that he's drawing all that attention to him. And as that attention starts to to creep in on him, that means there are teammates who are open. And he does a pretty good job most of the time of finding them. Last night you watch in game one and there's a lot of like blind backhands into the middle of the ice or up the wall where he thinks that he's going to have help and doesn't. And he, there were, there were a lot of turnovers in game one from him uh, just trying to do a little bit too much and maybe trying to, trying to force the action a little bit too much instead of letting it come to him a little more naturally. I think he'll probably look at that and he'll, the guy, the guy. I mean, the guy is world class. He adjusts so quickly and so well that I'm not going to say that Seattle is going to be able to put the clamps on him all series long. But I do think that their strategy of force him to give up the puck is a good one. They just have to continue hoping that he keeps making poor decisions with it. Yeah, I mean, it, it must also be a bit of a mind bending ex- uh, experience where. You're hearing everyone, and I'm sure he like he can see it, right? We would never say it publicly in an interview, but like you can see how the game's playing out, and it's like, all right, if if McKinnon and Rantanen aren't creating, not much is going to happen offensively. So it's like, all right, all the offensive burden is on your shoulders. But then now you have Dmitry Filipovich and AJ Hayfley saying on his podcast that less is more for McKinnon. Like he needs to defer a little bit and get rid of the puck earlier and make better decisions and let others do stuff and it's like all right how can both those things be true at the same time but then you watch that game last night and i did think like there's just there's certain times where his style of that frenetic energy where he tries to overcomplicate it and and stick handles a million times while waiting for something to open up it looks great when something does finally open up but the issue is with the way the kraken are defending and they were much more aggressive defending them than i expected like they're a very aggressive one-on-one defensive team where they they really kind of posture and gap up on you and make sure someone's always in your face but they were sending two three guys his way even on that assist to ranton and the reason why ranton was so open was because three defenders were quite literally just facing mckinnon and waiting to sort of like envelop him if he skated into them and sometimes he has a bad habit of skating into people that way because he's such an athletic freak and he just moves so fast and expects to just barrel through you but this isn't the series to to really test the ability to do so like he'll break through occasionally but the kraken will be very happy with him playing right into their defensive game that way so i did just want to note that um but it'll be yeah i i like the like an adjustment and i I think we all need a an emotional emotional support human so i uh i like that shout from you um is there anything else here on the avs offense or their game do you want to talk a little about seattle's offense because it's been a bit of a a bugaboo for me. Like you could see how they created yesterday, right? Very opportunistically off the four check a few times where the abs got caught deep and they got out on the rush and, and got chances that way. A lot of cycling the puck up to the point and then looking for like second and third efforts. I do appreciate how deliberate their approach is though. Right. It's very like someone tries to get open in the slot. It's a one quick pass. It's very simple. It's not mm-hmm. some sort of elaborate cross seam saucer pass. It's like a very simple short tape to tape. And that puck is immediately off the stick because that guy's trying to shoot and pick a corner. And I think that's how they were able to to get such a high shooting percentage this season. And that can give you some interesting challenges as a goalie and as a defense, because that's not typically the way most teams are are attacking and having success attacking this uh in this modern NHL, but the Kraken have clearly enjoyed that to great success so far this season. Yeah. I, I think it's really disciplined is the word that I mm-hmm. think jumps to mind because you know, guys at this level want to make plays. They want to create, they want to do certain things, but um, even, even some of their, you know, some of their more skilled players that you would look at between, uh, you know, Jordan Everlay, Jaden Schwartz, Jared McCann, uh, Maddie Beniers, obviously, uh, they are comfortable playing the simple game all all night. They'll make that two foot pass instead of trying to make the, you know, the 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 saucer pass through the through you know, through the seam and catch the guy on the back door for the easy goal. But it's got to go through four players to get there. You know, they the way that they value the puck is something that you have to respect and have to attack. Because if you know that they're going to make the simple play, 
then you need to you need to attack that and you need to force them to try and play at a higher level of offense than hey we're just going to keep this very meat and potatoes we're going to dump it we're going to rim it around we're going to cycle and we're going to try again which you and, think, which you would think that the Avs would have the right personnel to be able to to really sort of sit on some of those shots right with like the smart defensive players they have the reach and their ability to to use their 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 skating to to kind of disrupt shot lanes, you would think that that would be that would actually play right into the way the abs the one want to defend you ideally. I do, in fact, think that that is a, that 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 is something that plays right into what Colorado uh, should be wanting to try to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they can live with that, and the abs should be able to attack that, and that's one of the areas where I think Colorado should feel comfortable in this series. But watching how it played out last night, the Avs just didn't look like they had you know, team defense isn't just about defensemen, it's team defense, right? It's your forwards have to be bought in. And Colorado's forwards looked disconnected from their defense last night. And the way that Seattle kind of just they they just play such a disciplined game that I it, I think it can drive a team like Colorado crazy. Uh, because Colorado wants to get out. They want to play with speed. They wanna they wanna play a little flashier, they wanna play they want to play on the other end of the ice. They don't want to defend all night long. They don't want to be down there. They just they get really antsy, and then that's when forwards start flying the zone. That's when guys. Uh, the, that's when the little the the breakdown of the little details come. And I think what Seattle has to do is just stay true to themselves. And you look at the guys on that team, and you don't have any worry about that. They are going to be cut and paste every single game. It is going to be the same formula for them every game. There are no major changes to make. Even even if even if Colorado starts to find success in the series, uh, which I think will happen at some point. I mean, Colorado's just too good not to. Yeah. But even when that starts to happen, Seattle doesn't panic. Seattle's not going to make any kind of major changes. They're not gonna there's not gonna be any kind of an overhaul to what they're doing. They're just gonna wake up and they're gonna say, All right, we'll get them tomorrow. We'll frustrate them, we'll wear them down. You know, we we will physically wear them down. We will mentally wear them down, and then they have to continue to really, really hope that uh, Philip Grubauer outplays Alexander Georgiev. And it sure would help if Alexander Georgiev would not toe pick in the middle of trying to make a save. Yeah. Well, and Grubauer himself stopped thirty four of thirty five. Right, got the benefit of two posts. I thought, as I mentioned earlier. Most of the shots he faced were not very clean looks. They were very contested and disrupted, and mm-hmm. the Avs had a tough, tough time. Especially like they they weren't able to get anything really um, clean in the middle of the ice. It was even their rush shots were sort of coming down the wing from very predictable positions where an NHL goalie should be able to read that sight line and just get in front of it and make a save. But Grubauer has had issues over the past two years of sometimes. Sometimes even those shots beat him, though, right? And I guess you're, what you're saying is, yeah. as long as as long as he makes the saves he needs to, I think this should, like this should hold up defensively. And, and 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 whether it's enough is a totally different question. But certainly, I wouldn't expect any major blowups in that regard. Um, you know, the other thing for me thinking about it is, and maybe this isn't as big of an issue for the way the Kraken are constructed, as you said, because not only is it so true to most of their players' identity, but also because of that balance they have beyond. I guess Adam Larson, who played like nearly 28 minutes last night, and and I'd expect him to get even close to 30s uh, in some games in this series. Most guys are gonna like like the, the ice time should be fairly balanced, right? Most guys are gonna get their opportunities, so I wouldn't necessarily expect physical fatigue to be an issue throughout this series, but maybe more so mental fatigue. Where when you play such a um, disciplined kind of detailed all right everyone knows their assignment and you're always glued to that guy and you need to do all these things right to succeed over the course of a seven game series it's really tough to avoid having the occasional sort of slip up or breakdown or or that uh efficiency eroding defensively right and so i think if i was colorado i'd say i'd be saying all right just keep playing this series and at some point those openings will start to manifest themselves and show themselves more frequently as the series goes along. So that's what I'll be banking on. But maybe, maybe you're, maybe you're right. Maybe just because of the way they're constructed and the way they play, that might not be as true to, to this Kraken team. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how it, 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 it develops because you do have two teams with just different, 
multiple leaps of how to play the game here yeah. and and different const- roster construction um i'm i mean i'm i'm excited to see it i really i think the element of this that i'm most fascinated by is uh, just watching how these two defenses continue to attack each other mm-hmm. because seattle's defense isn't really going to create a ton of offense and uh, for a guy who had a you know a top 10 i'm i'm sure he'll get no votes this year and Vince Dunn. i really didn't think he was very good last night i thought it was adam larson doing a lot of that heavy lifting there on that bearing and i was i was kind of underwhelmed by by Vince Dunn. i think he's got a lot more to give and if they see that if they have do see a lot more from Vince Dunn, uh he ha- he's one of the few guys on that back end that has a dynamic element to his game that can create a little bit uh, I, don't, and... I don't think I don't think the Kraken will really. I don't like these things aren't mutually exclusive necessarily, but some of the things that make Vince Dunn special and and very effective in terms of that dynamic ability offensively, the Kraken might not want to get into a type of game environment where those things are as needed. You know what I mean? Like I, I yeah. think they really want to simplify everything and kind of pick their spots carefully and not necessarily be getting into this game where you're just sending stretch passes and trying to open the game up, which is where I think Dunn would thrive more. You're going to see him do stuff in the half court sets offensively, but otherwise it's going to be a lot of kind of patiently biding your time. And so I don't know if you're going to see him pop as much in this series based on the way he played in the regular season. And that might be fine from the Kraken from a team perspective. If they do have to start chasing in a game though. Yes. Yeah. That is where you know you know we saw you saw the third period of last night's game uh especially in the brief moments before they made it 3-1 uh the abs were just desperate mm-hmm. uh, they were you know sam gerard's trying to spin guys off of him and go up the wall and trying to lose three guys and you're just like oh my gosh dude you need to you just need to play a more connected game than this you've got four guys on the ice uh and i am i am curious to see how uh, when Colorado gets a foot in the in the in the door here, and they do start to put their own imprint on this series, how does a guy like Vince Dunn handle it? And do we see more of those elements? Do we see them press? Uh, can can the Kraken continue to stay as disciplined as they have been? Um, and and will that what is what does a desperate Kraken team Kraken team look like? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point because. They were up one nothing yesterday, and there was one one, and then they were up two one, and they held that lead the rest of the way. I think it's a, an entirely different game plan and ability to execute that game plan when you're playing with those game states, as opposed to if you're down two nothing early and all of a sudden you're having to to push for offense, right? So that's a that's a really good point. I thought Larson was was phenomenal. Like he's he doesn't get the attention that Dunn gets because he doesn't have the flash or the, the or the points to his name, yeah. but like. It felt like every time there was a puck in the vicinity of the net, he was there to just kind of knock it down and clear it out of trouble. And I just thought he was phenomenal. And I would expect he's done it all year, all year. So I would expect that to continue. But that's something to watch for. All right. Um, is there anything else on this series, or do you think do you think we've uh, we've kind of hit it? I think from the Avs, like beyond uh, switching up Lekkonen and, and Rodriguez, as you mentioned, and maybe experimenting with more Byram Makar offensive zone shifts. There, they don't because of the way this roster is constructed and some of the limitations down the lineup, there isn't a lot of like, Oh, the, the, just wait for Jared Bednar to play this card. It's a lot of, well, we need our players to to play better. And so that's not necessarily for, from our perspective, from breaking it down or talking X's and O's, it's not the most interesting, but it's kind of the reality for them. Is there anything else that, that you think we need to mention before we sign out here? Yeah. I mean, I think it is, it, it is important to note that, you know, this is a Alexander Georgiev has been, great this season for the avalanche and uh that was kind of a tough game one for him where he got hung out to dry on two of those goals and then the other one he literally toe picks and creates the second goal because he's falling down and doesn't have a chance to really make a save on a let's be honest that's that goal doesn't go in uh if alexander georgiev does not fall down that's not a goal and who knows what the game looks like uh I want to see. I want to see what happens when something like that's not going on. What happens? What happens when Colorado's defense is not giving them two free goals, uh, and then the universe creates a third one that that just kind of goes that way. 
I, I'm, I want to see what happens with Georgiev. I'm fascinated to know, has this bet that the Avs made that they can continue to find goaltenders to try and find them postseason success? You know, this this churn that they've had at the position over the last few years. Are they right about this? Because if they are, it's a copycat league, and I really want to see the trickle-down effect of teams that try to copy what Colorado does in terms of how they treat the goaltender position and how they put a cap on uh, kind of an internal cap and say, we don't want to spend more than X dollars at this position mm-hmm. so that we can build the roster in front of this guy. So this guy has the bet. You know, we don't need the man here. If we don't have a Connor Hellebuck, we're not going to spend money at this position just because we feel like we have to, you know, and you end up making some of the mistakes like we've seen uh, some of the teams make in recent years with big money commitments to guys who maybe don't deserve them. And so I think the Georgiev element of this is still something that I am really interested to watch play out. Um, that's less Avalanche Kraken specific and more yeah, of just like for sure. the the wider NHL landscape in, in general and how goaltender is such an important position mm-hmm. and such a hard position to scout and get correct. And it's so hard to value and just kind of, you just kind of have this team in Colorado that kind of lives on an Island and, uh, you know, eschews this common thought process about how to approach the position. And I just want to see if it works. I'm, yeah. I'm just curious to see. It's a big bet. Yeah. All right, AJ. Well, this is a blast. I'm really looking forward to the rest of this series, even if I don't think there's going to be that many goals scored. I, I think the pace the game was played at, particularly in the first two periods or so last night, was really fun, and I'm expecting that to continue and, and tactically um there's such different teams that that as as we've mentioned so far, that complementary skill set of of strength versus weakness makes this really fun to watch. Looking forward to see it play out. I'll let you quickly let the listeners know um, where they can check you out and kind of what you've got on the go. Uh, yeah, you can find me over at uh, DNVR Sports. Um, I head up the DNVR Avalanche coverage over there. Uh, we do five podcasts a week and written articles, and we do video breakdowns. And we have. Uh, YouTube channel and you know we we do watch alongs for games we have pre and post game podcasts uh, we we do just about everything that you can Im- imagine in terms of coverage for for the avalanche so that's uh that's where you can find us well the gold standard my sir it was a blast having you on uh hopefully um we can have you back on as this postseason goes along for more breakdowns um we'll be back tomorrow with more of the hockey pdo cast as always streaming here on the sportsnet radio network